All right, thank you, Tony, for leading us in the days of Elijah, which is maybe you'll figure out why I requested that song, so thank you for leading it. Uh, I want you to turn in your Bibles to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. You probably figured that out by the PowerPoint, by the Scripture reading earlier today, but my recommendation, my encouragement is always open your Bible, follow along. Some of the text will be on the screen, but then the more we get into this, the less I'll have the verses up here. So I always think you get the most out of it as you follow along. Uh, if you're new today, you haven't been with us for a few weeks, we've been studying through this letter to the church in Thessalonica. It was written by Paul, Silas, and Timothy, probably written about 20 years after Jesus was on this earth, after the resurrection of Christ. And as we prepare to study this very interesting text that we have today, one question that's been on my mind is, what happens to us when we die? You know, Steve, in your communion thoughts this morning, I appreciate your thoughts this morning, Steve. You talked about uh, being close to the valley of the shadow of death. And as all human beings who've ever lived on planet Earth, we, we know that we're all going to die at some point. We know that that's how it ends. So we, the question has always been, maybe in the back of our minds somewhere, is, well, what happens? What happens when we die? Ancient people who lived in a pre-scientific age, they had the same thoughts. They knew that when people die, dead people stay dead. So what happens after that? We don't really know, or at least we've never actually been there, but we know what the Bible teaches about. I was, came across a story earlier this week about a florist who made an unfortunate mistake. Um, there was a lady who was retiring from her long career, been with this company for a long time. So the florist sent an arrangement of flowers uh, with a note in it, and the note said, we're so sorry for your loss. And so she was confused. She actually called him, and she said, okay, I'm retiring. Why did I get a note that said, we're sorry for your loss? And the florist said, I'm sorry, I made a mistake. And you think you're upset. Imagine the family at the funeral for the flowers I sent them, and their card said, good luck in your new location. But the florist was, you know, embarrassed about it. But you think about that. Good luck in your new location. What happens after we die? What is our new location? As we studied this letter to the church in Thessalonica, the Really, the question they're asking is not so much what happens to us when we die, but they're asking what happens to our loved ones who have already died. I've mentioned over and over again in this series that they lived with a daily anticipation and expectation that Jesus was coming back, and they believed he would come any day, any moment. But as 20 years go by, and they have family and friends that have passed away, there, it seems to be, it seems to be that they had this fear of what's going to happen to them. Jesus hasn't come back yet like he promised, and now people are dying. Are they going to miss out? That's a fear that they are living with. And so I believe that part of chapter 4 here and the early parts of chapter 5 are written to help the Christians kind of answer that question and deal with that fear that they had. And one of the key words is this Greek word parousia. I've mentioned it in every sermon. You see this word, if you're looking at the Greek, at the end of each chapter. It simply means the coming or the second coming of Christ. And what we're going to study today is one of the earliest written accounts of the parousia, the details of the return of Christ. And these passages are probably two of the most important passages uh, when it comes to eschatology, which is the study of the end of times. 
We've already read it in our scripture reading. You participated with that, so let's jump into it and we'll look at starting in verse 13. But we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers and sisters, about those who have died, so that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. So they're beginning to, Paul, Silas, and Timothy are beginning to answer the fears or the questions about those who have died. And he says, we, we don't grieve as those who have no hope. Now, I want to focus for just a second on this word grieve. I want, I want us to be clear on what they're saying. Is They're not saying that as Christians we, we, don't, we have no right to grieve or we shouldn't grieve. That's not what they're saying. Grieving the loss of someone is natural. And even if you have faith, it's okay to experience grief. An example I thought of was several years ago when my grandmother passed away. There was a guy from church. Uh, I was conducting her funeral. I was on the way to speak at my grandmother's funeral, and he called me, and he said, I wanted to just send my condolences to you. And I thanked him, and I said, I appreciate it, but, you know, she lived a long, full life. She's been bad health for a while. We knew this was coming. You know, she's not suffering anymore. So I kind of almost was like talking my way out of grieving. Like, well, there's no need to grieve. You know, she's in a better place. You know, all this stuff. And he said, I know all that. He said, but there's just something about the finality of it. Even if you knew it was coming, even if it was expected, death is still hard, and grief is a part of the process. So they're not saying we don't grieve when somebody passes away, a loved one, someone that was an important part of our life, but he's saying we don't grieve like the rest of the world because we grieve with hope for those who are in Christ. We have hope, and hope is such an important biblical word. A simple definition of hope is this. Hope is the confidence that what God has done for us in the past guarantees our participation in what God will do in the future. So to explain hope even further, let's look at the next verse in verse 14. It says, For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, we believe that Jesus died and rose again. That's one of the early Christian creeds. It's core to our faith. Jesus died and rose again. Even so, through Jesus, what God will bring with him those who have died. So now they're kind of tapping into one of our deepest human fears. If you've ever lost somebody that you were close to or that you loved, not only are we asking ourselves the question, what happens to us after we die, but we ask the question, will we ever see them again? And yes, there is hope in that. The death is not the final word, and what they root this in is what God has already done in the past. We believe, core to our faith, is that Jesus died on a cross, was buried in a tomb, but on the third day resurrected. If that's not true, then we're wasting our time. But we believe that, and hopefully we believe that with all of our heart. And what Paul, especially Paul in his letters, believes is that God is in the resurrection business. And just like God uh, resurrected Jesus from the tomb, we have hope that in the future of our own resurrection. And so this verse there rooting hope in resurrection and life beyond death and what God has already done through Jesus, God will do through us. So there's a definition of hope explained even in the fuller sense. And then in verse 15, it says, For we declare, for this we declare to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will by no means precede those who have died. The basic point of this verse 
as they're still making that argument or answering that question, that fear of what happens to those who have died and Jesus hasn't returned yet, well, they're basically saying, if you're still alive when Jesus comes back, you have no advantage over those who have died. And then you get into verse 16, and it says, For the Lord himself, with the cry of command, with the archangel's call, and with the sound of God's trumpet, will descend from heaven, and the dead in Christ will rise first. It's a powerful verse. In fact, there's a lot going on in verse 16 here and verse 17 as well. And what they're dealing with is the dead in Christ. They will rise. The dead in Christ. So Paul, Silas, and Timothy here, their focus is not those who have died who are not believers. There are other passages in the New Testament that deal with that, that there will be a resurrection of the just and the unjust, there will be a judgment day. But here, what they're focused on is those who have died in Christ, that they will rise first. So that answers their question. And going back to this Greek word, parousia, the coming of Christ, the second coming of Christ, this is a detailed account of that. I mean, it sounds wonderful, the trumpet call, the, the cry of command, the archangel, Jesus descending. I mean, it can kind of work on our imagination a little bit. As I was doing my final review this morning, uh, the song that I've mentioned from time to time in different sermons is, I Can Only Imagine by Mercy Me. How many of you know that song? You've heard it before. I always like to point out that the lead singer of Mercy Me is from Greenville, Texas, where I grew up, so there's my claim to that connection. But that song, I mean, it sold millions of copies, and people all over the world know that song. And what it does is it just really taps into our imagination. I can only imagine what it will be like when we stand before Jesus. But that's really all we can do is just imagine, because what that day will be like is beyond what we could ever possibly imagine. N.T. Wright, great New Testament commentator, he says about this verse that, He said, it's like if you had to explain to somebody who was born blind, and you had to explain to them what the different colors are and how they could distinguish between different colors. It's almost an impossible task. And that's what Paul, Silas, and Timothy are doing in this verse, is they are briefly explaining to us what the day of the Lord will be like, what the return of Christ will be like, and the the dead and Christ rising. And it's almost impossible to fully explain. But it sounds beautiful. It sounds like something we should anticipate and be ready for. Verse 17 says, Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up in the clouds together with them to meet the Lord in the air, and so we will be with the Lord forever. Verse 17, verse 16 and 17 really can be kind of complicated. I've never preached from these passages before. I've taught on them. I've talked about them. But from a sermon standpoint, I've gone back and forth for the last few weeks. How much time do I spend on this verse? And I've prayerfully considered it. Because we could talk about those two words, caught up with him in the air. And there's many people that are of the Christian faith that believe in rapture and and there's different doctrines of the rapture and what some claim it'll be like and when it will happen, and, and they base the idea, the doctrine of the rapture on this verse. And So I could get into that and kind of explain it, give some background, and probably tell you some funny bumper sticker stories and things like that. But then I decided the other day, I was like, you know, let's not get into all that. We could get into other passages from the New Testament and compare and contrast 
Uh, 1 Thessalonians 4.17 with uh, what other passages in the New Testament talk about with the coming of Christ. But I've just kind of settled on the fact that I'm okay with the mystery of it. I'm okay with not knowing every detail of what exactly this will be like because what really gripped me as I looked at this verse are those last few words. Is we will be with the Lord forever. I'll let God sort out all the other details. I'll let uh, Jesus return the way that Jesus wants to return. But those who are in Christ, whether we are, are still alive or we've died, that we will be with Jesus forever. And there's encouragement in that. In fact, in verse 18, it says, Therefore, encourage one another with these words. The purpose of this passage is not speculation on what the end of the world will be like or the return of Christ will be like and getting big arguments and debates about that. The purpose of this writing is to encourage people. It answers the question for those who are fearing and worrying about their loved ones who had died and Jesus hadn't returned yet, well, they're saying, don't worry, they will rise first. They're not going to be left out. And beyond that, the purpose of this teaching is to be an encouragement. It should encourage us that we anticipate that day. So over the last few years, I've kind of been into Johnny Cash a little bit. Johnny Cash, any Johnny Cash fans? Man, one. I thought the East Texas, okay, maybe there's some more. Maybe you're not ashamed to admit it. I don't know. When you think of Johnny Cash, there's some popular songs that you think of, and that's not what I'm referring to. The Johnny Cash that I like, that I've gotten into, especially when I run, and when I run is getting fewer and fewer uh, times and days when I run, but when I do run, I like to listen to some Johnny Cash songs, and I like to listen to his religious songs, and what I call them are like apocalyptic-type songs. I'm fascinated by his style and the lyrics in his songs. And one of my favorite ones is what you see up here, Ain't No Grave. Anybody know this song? Ain't No Grave Gonna Hold My Body Down. I don't know much about Johnny Cash. I don't know his belief. I don't know his background. I, I really don't know a whole lot about him or why he wrote this song. But I can almost guarantee you that First Thessalonians chapter 4 highly influenced what he wrote in this song. Ain't No Grave Gonna Hold My Body Down. When I hear that trumpet sound, I'm going to rise right out of the ground. Sounds like what we just read, just in his own way. Ain't no grave going to hold my body down. Meet me, Jesus, meet me. Meet me in the middle of the air. You know, you can tell he's been reading 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. And I would say that this song might be a pretty good summary of what we just read. Ain't no grave going to hold my body down, not because we're determined and we're powerful, and we're strong, and we're not going to let the grave hold us down. Ain't no grave going to hold my body down because Jesus promised us it won't. Because Jesus said he's coming back, and the dead in Christ will rise, and we will live to be with him forever. So maybe that's a pretty good summary of what we just read. And then you notice in your Bible that there's chapter 4, and now there's chapter 5. And in case you didn't know this, or maybe you need to be reminded of this, when they wrote this letter, when anybody wrote anything in the Bible, they didn't originally write it with like verse 1, verse 2, verse 3, chapter 1, chapter 2, chapter 3. Somebody came along later and added those in there. And for the most part, it's helpful because it gives us a reference point. But when Paul, Silas, and Timothy are writing this letter, they're not 
ending one thought and then moving on to a totally different subject. So in my opinion, the placement of chapter 5 is unfortunate here because our minds are trained to think, okay, chapter 5, we're talking about something totally different. But they're continuing the same thought. They've answered the question about those who have died and Jesus hasn't returned yet. Now they're going to answer the question about when this will happen. So pick up chapter 5, verse 1. Now concerning the times and seasons, brothers and sisters, you do not need to have anything written to you. You don't need to know. In our staff meeting earlier this week, we were discussing this text and uh, Juan Garcia pointed out something that I I jotted down and I felt like it was worth sharing here. As he said, you know, people are always talking about when the end of the world will be or when Christ will return. And it's not about when, it's about if you're ready. And that's a good segue into this part in chapter 5. It's not about when this is going to happen, but it's it's more about if you're ready for the return of Christ. Verse 2, for you yourselves know very well that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. If you're familiar with the Gospels, what does this sound like? This is Jesus, right? There's a lot in chapter 5 that echoes something Jesus already taught, either verbatim or they paraphrase Jesus. So the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. At the end of August, a little over a month ago, it was the first Friday night of the football regular season, football season for high school football. So that means teenagers are out late, people are out late, and we've gone to several games, and, and we get home kind of late, and it's hard getting the kids to bed, and it's kind of a messed up night. Well, on this late August Friday night, we got the kids to bed, then Jessica went to sleep, and I was getting ready to, to go to sleep. The house was dark and quiet, and I was kind of getting into that slumber state where it's time to really start relaxing. And just as I was fully relaxed, I hear this boom, boom, boom on the door, 12.20 a.m., You know, the reaction to fear is flight, fight, or freeze. I froze. I was on the couch, and I gripped the couch, and I just kind of did this. My heart was beating really fast. And I can tell you, I was completely caught off guard. Never in a million years would I have thought, as I'm getting ready to go to sleep, that somebody would be banging on my door. And I didn't know who or what was on the other side of that door. And I can tell you, I didn't sleep very well that night. I went and checked, but I waited a little bit because I didn't know who or what was on the other side of the door. When I checked, nobody was there. But I'll tell you what, I was unprepared, but from now on I will be prepared because I went to Best Buy the next day, and we bought several cameras to put around our house. So if you think you're going to be funny and try to come knock on my door, I will catch you on camera now. I'm prepared. I wasn't prepared then, but I will be now. The day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. Well, this does echo what Jesus taught. Jesus said the same thing. I'm not sure why he chose to use this other than the fact that if a thief comes, it's never at a time when you expect it. If you expected it, you would be prepared. So what we know so far about what we're reading is the uncertainty of the coming of Christ, or the certainty that Jesus is coming, but the uncertainty of when that's going to happen. So the theme running throughout the sermon series has been live in anticipation, or as one commentator put it, live in a state of constant preparedness. We know Jesus is coming, and if we really truly do believe that, then we will live in a state of constant preparedness, being ready for the return of Christ. Verse 3 is going to echo something else Jesus said. 
When they say there is peace and security, then sudden destruction will come upon them as labor pains come upon a pregnant woman, and there will be no escape. Parallels what Jesus taught, and I won't get into any more details on that. Verse 4 and 5 says, But you, beloved, are not in darkness. For that day to surprise you like a thief, for you are children of light and children of the day. We are not of the night or of the darkness. Basically, what they're getting into now is they're saying, yeah, we don't know when it's going to happen, but if you're walking in the light as Jesus is in the light, if you belong to the day, you shouldn't be surprised like a thief because you've been prepared for this day to come for a long time. Then you move on to Verse 6 and 7, it says, So then let us not fall asleep as others do, but let us keep awake and be sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who are drunk, get drunk at night. Here's what he means by that. Or here's what Paul, Silas, and Timothy mean by that. Again, an echo from the gospel. Something Jesus talked. He talked about. He, he taught parables on keeping awake, staying awake. When Jesus prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane before the crucifixion, He challenged his disciples to stay awake and keep alert and pray. And even you get to the book of Revelation, in Revelation chapter 3, the letter to the church in Sardis, Jesus is telling this church, you are spiritually dead, you need to wake up. So we see this idea throughout the New Testament to keep alert and to stay awake. As one commentator that I read earlier this week said, Christians must never at any time permit themselves to be lulled into a state of indifference. And if you've lived long enough, you know this is very possible. With the worries of the day-to-day life, the big worries in life, the fears, the stresses of life, maybe even sometimes the monotony of life, it is possible, I like that word lulled, to be lulled into just a state of indifference, of apathy, or drift into sin. And we have to always be on our guard to not let that happen. And too often we see a lot of people around us that are in a spiritual sleep or a spiritual slumber or a spiritual state of deadness. And what Paul, Silas, and Timothy are reminding us here is to wake up and to be alert and be ready and stay in the light. Verse 8 says, But since we belong to the day, let us be sober And let's put on the breastplate of faith and love, and for a helmet, the hope of salvation. Uh, This is what I would call a miniature version of the armor of God. If you're familiar with the book of Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 6, which was written after Thessalonians, Paul will get into much more detail about the putting on the full armor of God. Great passage. Go read it someday. Ephesians 6. And I think this is what sparked that idea. This was the initial armor of God, a miniature armor of God. And he talks about the breastplate and the helmet. And the virtues that he uses are faith, love, and hope. Those three great Christian virtues that Paul likes to write about that we saw from the very beginning in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, that this church is living out faith, hope, and love, and it's led them into action. And hope in light of the overall theme of this sermon series, is, again, such an important word. We don't grieve as those who have no hope, and we carry hope with us as a helmet all the time. We arm ourselves with the armor of God, and then this section begins to wrap up, verse 9, 10, and 11. For God has destined us not for wrath, but for obtaining salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ 
who died for us so that whether we are awake or asleep, we may live with him. You have no advantage. It doesn't really matter if you're awake or asleep, if you're dead or alive. Jesus is coming, so just be prepared. The purpose is not to experience God's wrath, but through Jesus to experience salvation. And then the last verse in this section, the last verse we'll look at today, says, therefore, encourage one another and build each other up as indeed you are doing. Twice now, in the whole section of what we've read today, the end of chapter 4 and now here in chapter 5, verse 11, it says, encourage each other. And and then verse 11 adds this, build each other up. I find it interesting that with kind of a cryptic and strange passage about the coming of the Lord, about the dead rising, which I thought this morning, I'm glad this passage didn't fall on Halloween because I feel like that would be a really weird time to preach this passage. So I'm thankful it came a few weeks before. When you talk about the dead coming out of the grave and rising in the air to meet Jesus and being prepared, staying in the light, being sober, you know, um, always being alert. Like this language is meant to be an encouragement. It's meant to build each other up. But it also could be a warning. It's possible that some of you maybe, if you're being honest, if you're allowing the Word of God to really examine you and read you more than you read it, it could be that maybe you're thinking, yeah, I have been a state of spiritual deadness. I've been lulled into the state of indifference. So maybe instead of an encouragement, or maybe it comes in the form of an encouragement, but it's also a warning that it's time to get things right because Jesus is coming. And whether we're, we're dead and, and Jesus comes then or, or we're still alive and Jesus comes, there is coming a time very soon when we will stand before Jesus and we need to live in a state of constant preparedness, to be in the light and be ready for that. I'll end with this question that I, I've mentioned in each sermon. This question has worked in the background of this entire sermon series, but how do we live in anticipation that Jesus is coming? That's the theme throughout the whole letter. And I keep asking this question, for one, because I think repetition is a great teacher, but I think this is something that that we really need to really reflect on. We know that Jesus is coming, so how do we live in the meantime? We don't know when it's happening. But from what we read in scriptures, we're told how to live faithfully for the Lord, how to walk in the light and not be caught up in the world, and to be an example for those around us and live in love and live in purity and that live in a way that we are prepared for Jesus' return. There's this old prayer, the Maranatha, which sometimes I like to pray. If I, you know, I like to pray a short one-sentence breath prayer occasionally throughout the day especially when I'm feeling high anxiety or I'm really stressed out, sometimes I'll just simply pray from Christian tradition, come, Lord Jesus, come. And that's an invitation for Jesus to return, but it's also an invitation for Jesus to come to deeper places within your heart. So come, Lord Jesus, come. We pray, we request that, and we urge you to be ready for that day. And if we can help you in any way this morning, We're going to offer an invitation. Come see me. Come see one of our elders. We would love to talk with you if we can help you in any way. Why don't you stand and we'll continue to Let the weak say I am strong. Let the poor.